0: So, we're in Ruth chapter 2. Last week we saw Ruth make a complete break with her past. She left her family behind, she left her culture behind, she left her gods behind, and she left behind any kind of security that she might have had in the world. So Ruth left the world behind, and she cleaved to God and the people of God. And as we said last week, this is a picture of true conversion, because it demonstrates repentance, a changed life and of becoming a disciple of Christ. True repentance is turning from the old, leaving it all behind, no matter what it costs, and cleaving to God, trusting him completely, even when we don't understand how things will work out. This week, we're going to see God start to bless Naomi and Ruth, providing for her in small ways, but ultimately, his plan is to bring Ruth and Boaz together. And this is all about the providence of God, the grace of God, and how in his sovereignty he controls all things. Now as we read chapter 2, there's two things to look for. Try to look for parallels between how Boaz looks after Ruth, and how Christ looks after us. Ruth is a picture or type of the church. Boaz is a picture or type of Christ. And we're going to see how Boaz is going to bless Ruth, and how he's looking after her, and Parallel that to how Jesus looks after us, how he blesses us. He demonstrates his grace to us. Now let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful book. Lord, it just demonstrates your grace so profoundly. And I pray that you'll just open our hearts to see that you really do love us and that you really are so involved in our lives. You're not a God that's afar off. You're a God that's close at hand. You're a God that's near. And Lord, you're involved in every part of every day of our lives. Help us to remember that, even though we can't see that. Because when we look back, we can see it. But when looking ahead, it looks a bit muddy. So I just pray that you help us to have faith, to realize that you are guiding our steps, and that you are looking after us and providing for us. And Lord, just giving us so many good things that we don't deserve. So we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ruth chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabiter said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favour or grace. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to that part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied, and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even amongst the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Believe it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. As you can see, there's quite a bit of God's providence in this. Ruth has no idea what's going on. Naomi is starting to be encouraged. But it's all because God is in control and he's guiding their steps. So, let's read verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So, I'm just going to talk about Boaz for a bit. First of all, he is a type of Christ. His name means standing in strength. He is described as a man of great wealth, or as that's translated elsewhere in the Bible, a man of great valour. Someone who was brave and honorable. Now, he's an exceptional man for several reasons. Firstly, he came from the tribe of Judah and is in the lineage of King David and Jesus. Secondly, Boaz is a man of strong character. He lived in the days of the judges. And as you know, the days of the judges were a horrible time to live. People were just doing what was right in their own eyes. That's Judges twenty one twenty five. The country was morally corrupt. They were just doing whatever they wanted to do. Yet Boaz is a godly man living in the middle of an ungodly culture and he's making an impact on those around him. And the same should be true for us in the way we live. I'm just going to put Matthew 5.16 up on the screen. It says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Now another reason why Boaz is an exceptional guy is he also stood strong in the days of famine. You remember last week, Elimelech, Naomi, and their family, they left the promised land and went to Moab to seek food, to seek an easier life. Basically, they're looking for a way out of the trial. But Boaz had stayed behind, and God had provided for Boaz. And in fact, through this trial, God had made Boaz a man of great wealth. And there's an important application for us here. In chapter 1, we read about last week that Naomi and her family made a wrong choice 10 years before. They made this choice in a hard time, a time of famine, but they didn't have to make the wrong choice. They did. The people of Bethlehem, they did not perish from hunger. They're still there. They're still alive. They still have their properties. And in fact, they're doing quite well. So it's easy to justify wrong choices because of difficult circumstances, but God will strengthen us to make the right choice, even in difficult circumstances, if we ask him. And the blessings will follow. And last week we talked about the mathematics of sin. Remember that? We go out full, but come back empty. So far we know that Boaz was a man of good character and that he was faithful to God in the hard times. But, most importantly, he's a picture of our kinsman and redeemer, our close relative, Jesus Christ. Now, the word translated relative there is goel in Hebrew. Goel means redeemer. And it's described in Leviticus 25, where God outlined his plan to limit the concentration of wealth. So... Basically, every fifty years in the year of Jubilee, all the properties purchased by corporations or wealthy individuals they had to be given back after fifty years and so no one could accumulate a whole lot of property because at the end of fifty years all the property went back to the original owners it stayed in the original families. The only exception was homes in walled cities but what if you've due to bad management or whatever it might be, you've lost your farm, you've lost your property, and you can't make an income. Now you're stuck. So God made another way of getting your property back, and that is through the kinsman redeemer. At any time, someone in your family could buy back your land, buy back your home, that you had lost through bankruptcy, poor business practices, or mismanagement, and you could get it back. You could go back into your home at any time, as long as there was someone to redeem it for you. And that's why the word goel is translated both relative or kinsman, and also redeemer. Now, what's the parallel for us? Well, it's really important because Jesus Christ is our goel. He is our redeemer. Because of sin, we are bankrupt. Due to Adam's poor moral management, we lost everything. And like Ruth and Naomi, we end up with nothing. But there is one who is wealthy, there is one who stands in strength, and he is our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. So Boaz, as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, Boaz is about to redeem Ruth and bring her under his covering, even as Jesus Christ has redeemed us, the church, and brought us under his covering. Verse 2, so Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him whose sight I may find favor. So that word favor there is grace. I might find grace in his sight. And she said to her, go my daughter. So in Deuteronomy 24 and Leviticus 19, God has provided another compassionate law which stated that a poor person can go into the fields during the time of harvest and gather anything that was left over. So this was their social security system. It was a work-fare system, not a welfare system, if that makes sense. There was no free lunch. You had to go and collect your own lunch. The lunch was there, but you had to go and collect it for yourself. Now, how do we apply this today? Well, the Bible commands those in the church, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. So, as Christians, it's important that we model a good work ethic. Now, being unemployed, we can't help that sometimes, but there's plenty of ways for unemployed people to contribute to society. You know, there's volunteer work. There's all kinds of things we can do to still help out. And it's important that we do that because it makes a way for us to meet our own needs with dignity. So, I'm just going to read one of those passages. It's Leviticus 19:9-10. It says. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So here is Ruth and Naomi. They have no husband. They have no home. They have no land. They have no income. And so this is for them. They have to go and pick up their own food during the harvest so they can eat. This is God's provision for them. Verse 3. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So here, Ruth is willing to glean enough for both of them. So this is taking care of your parents as they get older. Ruth is doing this. She's being responsible and taking care of her elderly mother-in-law. She's showing initiative and she's demonstrating a good work ethic. So now Ruth happened to end up in the field of Boaz. And this is just a stroke of luck. I mean, I can just picture God wiping the sweat off his brow and saying, phew, I didn't think of that. I was wondering how Naomi and Ruth were going to survive. All these things, so many people, I just can't keep up with everything, you know. No, that's not the way it is. Ruth had no idea who Boaz was. She had no idea that he was rich and that he was a kinsman or relative of Elimelech. But the Lord had directed her steps. So nothing just happens. There is no such thing as coincidence. I call it God-incidence. God is always at work. But just remember that God can't guide us if we're not moving if we're not taking steps of faith. Imagine if Ruth had just stayed home and prayed. Well, that's fine, but she would have been hungry. And God couldn't have guided her to Boaz. So there's a time for prayer, but also a time for action. When we step out in faith, God will guide our steps one step at a time. Ruth just knew she had to go and get some lunch, some breakfast and dinner, whatever she was looking for, some food. And she went out in obedience to what the Bible said, to go into people's fields and get the leftovers. And Ruth experienced the very natural moving of the supernatural hand of God. Now, looking ahead, can we really see where God is leading? Well, often we can't. David Guzek says, a quote from him, Many times when we are really walking in the Spirit, we can only see the invisible hand of God by looking back. If we spend too much time trying to look for his hand ahead of us, we can make problems for ourselves, Because God works in the natural supernaturally. So things will just happen and it's hard to tell if it's his will or not sometimes, but we just keep walking and things just turn out and then suddenly we realize, oh yeah, God was in control. Everything's worked out great. So there's a grand plan coming into play for Ruth. It's called redemption. But remember that Ruth is a picture of you and me. We are the bride of Christ. Now the picture is that we were lost, impoverished, hungry, and it just so happened that we found ourselves in his field. One day someone invited us to a Bible study or to church, or they spoke about God to us, or there's a tract in a letterbox, whatever it might be, and it's all a part of God's grand plan to send people our way, allowing us to come in contact with our Boaz, who is Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. This is amazing. In a time of the judges where everyone's doing their own thing, doing what was right in their own eyes, just basically not caring what was right or wrong, here is Boaz with his life centered on God. Now this reminds me of Jesus, our Emmanuel, or God with us. So Boaz is saying, The Lord be with you. Now what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Now, God has always desired; He's always chosen to walk among men. It's been His heart from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, Genesis three eight. But what did man choose? Adam and Eve chose. You know what? I'd rather listen to Satan than listen to you. I'd rather have what Satan offers instead of what you offer. I believe what Satan offers better, and so they fell, and they were expelled from the garden, and that fellowship was broken. Then, God walked among man in the nation of Israel. His glory was in the middle of the camp, in the midst of the camp, Deuteronomy 23.14. What did Israel do? They rejected the true and living God. Then, God came and walked among man in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1 says he tabernacled or dwelt among us. What did the world do? The world rejected Christ and nailed him to a cross. Now today, how does God walk among the world? Well, he walks amongst the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is walking among us, the church now experiences rejection, persecution, and difficulty because wherever God has walked among men, he has been rejected by the world. Remember Jesus says, if they reject me, they'll also reject you. If they persecute me, they'll also persecute you. And it's not really you they're persecuting. It's not really you they're hating. It's me. That's what he said. But there's a future time when the world will be like Eden again. Jesus will come back and everything is going to be how it was supposed to be all along. The earth will burst forth into blooming and blossoming. Israel will be the head of the nations again as she was supposed to be in the first place. And Jesus Christ will reign forever as the King of Kings. So today the world resents God walking among them, amongst them. And you know all the persecution that's going on in the church, especially in China and Iran and all the different places around the world, but in the Millennial Kingdom, that's all going to change. No more arguments, no more strife, no more tension, because Emmanuel, God with us, will be with us, and we shall be with him. So there's a practical application for us as well here. It's the relationship that Boaz had with his workers. Now, You can tell a lot about the character of a guy or a person by the way they interact with their workers and the relationship that the workers have with their boss. So Boaz, you can tell he's got a good character because his workers loved him and had a good relationship with him. Verse 5, then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now This servant who's in charge of the reapers, what's his name? We don't know. It's not given to us. It's the unnamed servant. Now who's he a picture of? I would suggest he's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Just like in Genesis 24, the unnamed servant went to find a bride for Isaac. And back then, again, he was a picture of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who seeks a bride for Jesus Christ the one who never speaks of himself, but always points people to Jesus. It's his job, the Holy Spirit's job, to draw us into relationship with Jesus. Verse 6 So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now though so she rested a little in the house. So the unnamed servant is set over the reapers, and like the Holy Spirit, is set over us, Ephesians 1.13. Now we find out more about Ruth here. The servant reports to Boaz. Ruth asked, Please let me glean and gather in your field. So what does this tell us about Ruth? Well, it shows that she's got a submissive attitude. She's a humble lady. Now, she could have gone and stood up for her rights and said, that's it, Leviticus nineteen nine to 10 it's my right to be in your field, let me in. But she didn't. She didn't demand her own way. She kindly and politely asked for the right to gather in his field. So again, showing humility. So, humility is the cure for being demanding and bossy. Nobody likes a demanding person. And this especially applies to our families, parents and children, that relationship as well. The servant is continuing his description of Ruth. So she came and has continued from morning until now. So Ruth didn't realize it, but she was under inspection. She was being watched. The supervisor was looking at what kind of job she did and was impressed that she worked hard, that she did a good job. And the fact that she did a good job was important because it made a good impression on Boaz. Now, an application for today, guess what? No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, people are watching us. People are seeing if our relationship with God is the real thing. Are we just pretending? Does our walk match our talk? It makes a huge difference because if we're not living the life, then people will not see the reality of the risen Jesus living in us. And they won't be drawn to him through us. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here. But stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So the first thing Boaz says here is, stay close by my young women. So these women were Boaz's female field workers and their job was to tie together the stalks of grain after the men had slashed it. So Boaz told Ruth to stay close to them so she'd be well taken care of. And then he said, do not go to glean in another field. Now Boaz knew that if Ruth stayed in his fields, she'd be blessed and she would find companionship among the young women. She would have protection, because remember he said, Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you. And she would also find refreshment when you are thirsty, in verse 9. And there's an application here for us today, when it says, Do not go to glean in another field. This is what Jesus says to us today. Do not look for some deeper theological truth or some exciting or emotional experience or some new slant on doctrine. Instead, stay in the field of redemption. Simply say, I will spend all my days marvelling that I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We want to just continually meditate on the grace that God has shown us. Another way of saying this is don't leave your first love. Stay in Jesus' field. And if we do, we'll experience companionship, protection, and refreshment. Now, another thing about Boaz is how kind he is towards Ruth. It also tells us more about Jesus and his attitude towards us as well. Now, later on, as we're going to read, he's even more generous, and he tells his workers to drop grain behind on purpose for her to pick up. And I think the important thing to notice here is that Ruth had no way to repay Boaz's kindness. So what is true kindness? It's showing kindness and not expecting anything in return. And this is the type of kindness that Jesus shows toward us. He continually blesses us, and all we have to give him in return is ourselves. But that's all he wants. From the beginning, all God has desired from us is relationship with us. That's the reason he created us. Now God doesn't need us, but he chooses to find pleasure in relationship with us, in spite of how much we hurt him. Now verse 9, the first part, it says, Let your eyes be on the field where they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Now this is an interesting thing. The men and the women And this separation. Here's Ruth. Single young lady. Probably quite attractive. The man would be attracted to her. She would be attracted to the man. Is that a healthy thing? Well, it all depends. Is it going to hinder her walk with God? Is it the best thing for her at the moment? Boaz is wise. Boaz gives her some good advice. He says, I've commanded the young men not to touch you. And he's basically telling her to stay away from them and stay with the women. Remember, the land was full of immorality, and Boaz was one of the rare exceptions to the rule. So, what we can understand from this passage is that it's normal in that culture for the men and women to work separately. Now, is this over the top? Is this being legalistic? Well, consider the number of church leaders who have fallen into sexual sin. Not just church leaders, but people in the church who have fallen into sexual sin. The question is, when does agape love change into emotional or even physical love? How can we prevent this? Should unmarried men and unmarried women pray together by themselves, for example? What are some sensible boundaries that we should have to protect ourselves from ungodly relationships or compromise? And I have a quote from John Corson, which I think goes a long way to answering some of these questions. So he says, In First Corinthians 7, verse 1, Paul writes that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. There is wisdom in that. I think it's wonderful and appropriate and scriptural to be a people who are affectionate. But you know, and I know, when holy affection becomes carnal inclination. When that happens, back off. People might think you're cold and you're weird. Let them think what they want. You be the one who listens to the words of Boaz and do not touch the young lady. So, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about using common sense and it's about being led by the Spirit. The Spirit will tell you what's going on if you're listening to him. Verse 9, the second part, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young man has drawn. So, Ruth didn't even have to draw her own water. What did Jesus say? He invites us to drink freely from the wells of salvation. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3. So another parallel there. Verse 10. So she fell on her face, bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor or grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? So there's a couple of things here. The first is, why have I found favor or grace in your eyes? Now, Ruth's attitude is just fantastic. Some of us might have said, Well, it's about time someone noticed. I've been working hard all day. Now God will give me the blessings that I deserve. But that's not right. That's called legalism. The legalistic person is never thankful, but always grumpy and proud. Ruth never asked why all the hard things come upon her in life. Instead, she asked why this good thing had come. And that's a difference in the attitude from the person who understands grace to the person who is a legalist. Ruth is thankful because she understands grace. Ephesians five twenty says, Giving thanks always for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the person who understands grace, any good thing that happens to them will result in the saying, Wow, thank you. And the second thing in this verse is Since I am a foreigner. Now, consider Ruth. She's from the land of Moab. She's a Moabitess, not an Israelite. And she knows that on the basis of her nationality, her national background, she didn't belong in Israel. According to Deuteronomy 23 verse 3, God had cursed the Moabites and proclaimed that they could not come near the tabernacle, the tent where the Ark of the Covenant was, for ten generations because of all the evil that they had done to the Israelites previously. And this made Boaz's kindness to her all the more precious. So here's Boaz being nice to a Moabite woman. Someone who was considered like an enemy of the state of Israel. People who had been unkind to Israel and Boaz is showing kindness to her. But that's how we should feel too. That's exactly how I feel. How could it be that I have found grace in God's sight? We should be amazed that we find grace in God's sight. And I want to just read to you Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. And it says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us, has made us friends of God. So, for our Christian walk, the fact that we belong to God now, the fact that we're saved, it's all grace. There's nothing about us that deserved to be saved. There's nothing about us that was attractive to God. There was nothing about us that was worthy. It's just a miracle that God would choose to show grace to us. God's grace to us is just amazing. Verse 11. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your mother and your father and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Notice it says, It has been reported to me. We know this is like we live in Esperance. Everybody knows what everyone else is doing. (laughs) Small town. But what it shows is that people notice the way we live. Boaz had noticed Ruth's devotion to Naomi. Boaz had noticed that Ruth was looking after Naomi and was concerned for Naomi. Now, how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, what does John thirteen thirty five say? It says, "Your love." for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So, as we love each other, we prove to those around us, the people who are watching, the world who is watching, that we are his disciples because we are looking after one another. Now, it's pretty scary if you turn this around, if you use the contrast of this verse. Your lack of love for one another will prove to the world that you are not my disciples. So, it's really important that we love one another And look after one another, because it all determines what message we're sending. Are we his disciples? Are we not his disciples? Are we loving each other or not loving each other? Now, coming back to the whole issue of grace here, with Ruth being a type of us, the bride of Christ, we should fall down before Jesus and say, Why have I found grace in your sight? And the answer is, he says, I know you. That's what Boaz said to Ruth, remember? Why have you shown me such grace? He says, I know you. It's been reported in what you've done. Now, in Romans eight twenty nine 29-30, it says that whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. And it all begins with the foreknowledge of God. He says, I know you guys. I see your hearts. And I'm choosing you. I'm electing you. I've chosen to be gracious to you. So the Lord sees us, the Lord knows us, and the Lord has chosen to show grace to us. I don't understand it. I don't deserve it, but I'm grateful for it. So when God looks at us, even in our imperfection, he doesn't condemn us. Instead, he commends us for the good things we do. He doesn't focus on our sin. Instead, he hears us sigh He hears our heart saying, I want more of you, Lord. Even though I'm Moabite, I come from the world, even though I have problems, you still want to be with me. You still want relationship with me. Why? It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life that's causing me to desire you. And he gives us grace. Verse 12, The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel. So, Boaz is now praying for Ruth as a new convert. He's encouraging her as a new convert. He's basically discipling her here. He's encouraging her. He's providing for her. He's helping her to grow in her walk with God. Now, how is Ruth an example of a new convert? Well, for starters, she put her trust in the God of Israel. She left her former country and family. She had come in among strangers She was very low in her own eyes, that's what repentance does, it makes us humble. And she had found protection under the wings of God. So this is a beautiful picture, this under whose wings. The imagery is that of a bird snuggling under the wings of a foster mother. So if you've seen the hens with a little chick sticking its head out, it's a picture of trust and security. There's a few verses in the Bible that talk about this principle. Here's one of them. It's Psalm 36, verse 7. It says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. So that's what Ruth had done. She had put her trust in God. Verse 13. Then she said, Let me find favor or grace in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. So, what's this? It's what we just did this morning. It's like communion. Here, Ruth, come over here. I'll share my bread and the wine with you, the wine or the vinegar. Yeah, it's a picture of communion. Now, it says, dip your bread in the vinegar. So, for those romantics out there, perhaps now we see the first hint of a romance. Boaz shows great kindness and favor to Ruth at mealtime. Now, normally it would just be enough to have invited her to the meal, but he's also invited her to share fully in the meal, including the privilege of dipping into the shared bowl of sauce in the middle of the table there. And another thing it says is that Ruth kept some back. She didn't eat everything that was offered to her and that showed she was being unselfish and was thinking of Naomi. Verse 15 And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commended his young men, saying, Let her glean even amongst the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. In other words, Boaz is saying to his servants, let Ruth glean in the best places and don't bother her. In fact, I want you to spill some of the good grain you're harvesting right where she's about to walk. Now, you might protest about this. The workers could have protested that, hey, that's not fair. But grace is never about being fair. Grace is always unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. God is dropping Buckets and truckloads of good things upon us just because he can and he wants to. And the only reason he needs to do that is because he loves us. Verse 17 So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother in law saw what she had gleaned, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. Wow. An ephah of barley is about 22 liters, so a nice big load to carry home. So, yes, God had blessed Ruth. Yes, people were generous to her, but at the same time, she did work hard. She got up at sunup and got home at sundown. She worked hard all day long. And so, here we have a picture of God's responsibility and our responsibility. We need to respond to his love. So Naomi was very encouraged and she says in verse 19 and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? You can just imagine the wonder in her voice like Ruth coming back with all this grain. Two bags of grain probably. So here's an application for us talking about and applying this to our getting into the word and gleaning from the word of God. So I'm going to read something from John Corson that I found challenging and I hope will encourage us to talk about what we're reading in the Word more often. So, John Corson said, In the previous generation, this was a question frequently asked among Christians. Where have you gleaned today? I propose we revive it. I think it's a good greeting for those who love the Word of God. Where have you gleaned today? We're so busy with the menus of Moab we often find it difficult to answer this question. Can you talk more readily about the latest movie you've seen than the latest spiritual understanding you've received? Is it easier to talk about the TV show you watched last night rather than about the truths of the word you missed this morning? Where are you eating? Where are you gleaning? It might be a little unnerving, but I believe it would be healthy and right for us to greet each other saying, where have you gleaned today? And that's the end of the quote. So, it's an interesting thing, and we should be doing it anyway. And we do do it a lot, which is fantastic. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We should be talking about what God is showing us. Because as God reveals stuff to us, it's not just for us. It's for us to encourage other people with as well. So, we can ask, what have you been reading in your word? What has God shown you? How has God encouraged you? Things like that. Where have you been gleaning today? And the second part of verse 19 And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her This man is a relation of ours one of our close relatives. So the word goel is used 64 times in the Old Testament. It's translated either as redeemer or kinsman or relative, close relative. So, here Naomi said, Boaz, he is related to Elimelech. He can be our Goel, our redeemer. He can rescue us from our poverty. He can restore to us our inheritance. And that will happen next week in chapter 3. Moving on, Blessed be the name of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, Look at the change in Naomi. Is this really the same woman who came into town saying, Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Ruth chapter 1 verse 20. Is this the same woman who said, The Lord Almighty has afflicted me. Ruth chapter 1 verse 21. Yes, it is the same woman. But now she sees more of God's plan unfolding so she can better see how all things are working together for good to those who love God. So I would suggest that God wants us to praise him in the storm, not just after the storm. Not just when things are rosy and going well. Verse 21. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Now, can you notice something wrong in what she just said there? He said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. Ah, wait a minute, Ruth. You're showing your moabness, your immaturity. What did Boaz say in verse eight? He said Stay with the young ladies, not the young men. Why? Well at the time the harvest time was a time of celebration, and all the people would be out and working and working hard, but they're all out together. It was a time of parting in a good sense of the word. So Ruth, as a single woman, She's thinking, wow, there's lots of young men around here and they're all working hard and maybe I can match up with one of these guys. And so she kind of twisted Boaz's words and took liberty with his words and she says to Naomi, oh, Boaz told me to stay with the young men. ruth got her own little agenda going here. But Naomi is wise, she says in the next verse. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So Naomi reinforces Boaz's instruction when she told Ruth to go out with his young women. Now just think about how that would have affected her relationship with Boaz if she had got together with one of those young guys. So she stayed close by the young women on Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So Ruth... As we talked about before, she's humble. She listens to the counsel of her elders. Boaz, an older man, said, Stay with your maidens. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said the same thing. And Ruth was wise enough to listen. Now, as I read the scriptures more and more, I see this linkage between the elders, the older people, and the younger people, of young and old. Why? Why do we need the young people and the old people working together? Well, young people have zeal but it's often without knowledge. A quote from Romans, zeal without knowledge. Older people have wisdom, but often lack vision, because they're kind of stuck in a rut. They're used to doing things a certain way. So we need each other. We need the old and the young to work together. And in the Bible, we have Moses working with Joshua, Elijah with Elisha, and Eli with Samuel. So there's a need for young and old, for vision and wisdom, for energy and experience to work together. So we need each other. So, I want to encourage you to go back through the chapter yourself, read through it in your own time, and glean in the field of Ruth chapter 2, and look for the parallels between Boaz and Christ, and Ruth and the church. It's a great field to glean in, and it will help us to understand just how helpless and unlovable we were when Christ started to draw us to himself, when Christ led us into his field and he redeemed us. It will help you to understand God's amazing grace. So Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. I thank you for the great grace that you're revealing to us in this beautiful love story. The love story of Christ and the bride. And Lord, we are the bride, and we're recipients of your grace. And Ruth is going to be completely cared for and looked after and secure. She's going to have a husband, she's going to have kids. She's going to have an inheritance. And Lord, you've given all those things to us as well. Lord, we just thank you that you are our kinsman redeemer. We look forward to next week when that all plays out and we dig into that more. And I just pray that you'll give us great understanding of that and how it shows just how much grace you have for us. When you're redeeming us, when we were dead broke, bankrupt, had nothing, had nothing to offer. We weren't even good people. We were enemies. We were sinners. But Lord. By your great love, you died for us anyway. You're calling us to come to you, to have a relationship with you. Help us to be like Ruth and to be thankful for all the good things and not be complaining about all the bad things that happened to us because we know those bad things are just there to get our attention, to discipline us, to bring us back to you anyway. Help us to focus on our love relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.